we're starting a new sermon series. So uh, we're going to look at Jesus on the road. Jesus uh, hitting the road. So just be prepared for that theme as we, we start out here looking at uh, the travel narrative found in Luke's gospel. When the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, we're going to skip over some verses, and then starting at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God. I bet if I asked you uh, if you've got any favorite road movies, you, you, could, you could lift up your hand or shout out lots of them. You know, of course, all those Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movies, those road movies. Uh, you know, I might think about uh, the vacation movies, all those type things. But a movie that I, I'm thinking about right now because these guys are very determined to get somewhere is planes, trains, and automobiles. Anyone ever see that? Anyone ever see that? Yeah, we all did. Yeah, we, and maybe something that you watch at every Thanksgiving because it, it's a, a movie about two guys who will do anything to get home on time for Thanksgiving dinner. John Candy uh, playing Dale Griffith and Steve Martin playing Neil Page uh, wind up with each other in all these misadventures. Uh, But they're trying their best to get to Chicago by Thanksgiving. They start out in New York. The plane gets diverted to Wichita. Uh, They say, well, there's no way we're going to get a plane to get to Chicago. So they ride a train. The train breaks down. They end up riding in the back of a pig truck. You all might remember that scene. If you ever do a meme for somebody that's cold and chill, you'll see a picture of them uh, when pull it up on your phone sometimes time. There they are chattering because they're riding through Kansas uh, in the cold. Uh, They uh, rent a car. You might remember that scene. That's a scene that makes it so we can't show our kids. And so they they rent a car and and they head off and and of course uh, uh, Dale gets a little accident prone. You might remember that scene and the car gets wrecked but it's still drivable and then it catches on fire. Uh, But they still are determined to drive that car. But the state police pull them over and said this car is not roadworthy. So they catch a tr- ride with a trucker who puts them in the back of the freezer <laughs> compartment of the truck, and they finally make it home. And Neil realizes that Dell's doesn't have a home to go home to, and he invites him home for Thanksgiving. And if you look at some of the notes on the movie, uh, this, the director says this, at that moment, Neil realizes that all Dell was trying to help him do was to get home for Thanksgiving. Wow. It's kind of like what Jesus was determined to do. I mean, that's probably the only relationship between planes, trains, and automobiles and Jesus. But you can understand that as Jesus set his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem, as the old King James would say, that Jesus was determined to make it so that we could all share in a Thanksgiving meal that we celebrate every month called communion. And it's called, in the Greek, 
Holy Eucharist, Holy Thanksgiving. So every time we gather together at this meal of Thanksgiving called communion, we're giving thanks for the fact that Jesus said, as I steadfastly and determined to go and fulfill his destiny on the cross. And so uh, he, in Luke's gospel, has this travel narrative where Jesus says, I'm going to start going to Jerusalem. And Luke has us follow along with Jesus, encountering different people as Jesus invites them to sacrifice, to follow, follow him. We're going to talk about the different ways that Jesus calls us to sacrifice as we go through this, this Lenten season. And he sets it up just a few verses earlier where Jesus says this, if you want to be my follower, you got to take up your cross daily. Luke inserts this word daily and follow me, meaning that the way of Jesus, the sacrificial way of living is a step-by-step journey, that each step that we take is a step of faith, sometimes a sacrificial step to fulfill our destiny of following after him. And, you know, we have plenty of excuses, don't we? about, well, you know, I don't really want to follow Jesus that closely. Or, you know, I, I might, as, as you said so beautifully in your prayer, Justin, I, I might follow him on Sunday, but the rest of the week, that's up to me. And, and so, this past week in the newsletter, we put out an invitation you to participate and giving a one-word answer, what's your excuse for not following Jesus totally? And Sam, if you'll throw that up there, please. Thank you for getting the pro presenter working again. Look at all those ways. You know, family, anger, complacency, shun, fearful, anxiety, busy. And then look at those that are so there. The more people that answer this term, the larger the letters. Distracted, pride, busyness, selfishness, fear. That's what you say that, you know, I'd like to follow after Jesus, but I'm kind of scared. And selfishness and fear, I think, kind of relate to each other because we're fearful of what Jesus is going to ask us to do. And so, what you're going to talk, what we're going to talk about today might help with some of these responses up there. Sam, just go ahead and leave that up there, okay? Just, just leave that up there because uh, they need something to look at if they get bored, okay? So, you can, you, can, you, can start, you can start spelling things, doing stuff backwards, you know, and, you know, do sorts of word games, okay? So, you know... But every now and then you might hear something from me that will pique your interest. So we're going to talk today about these would-be disciples. And I'd say that that's us, isn't it? We're, we're, we can be would-be disciples. We give excuses. As Jesus sets on this trip, he, he has this guy says, um, Jesus, I'm going to follow you anywhere that you go. Anywhere. Not realizing where Jesus is heading. And Jesus says this. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In some ways, he is stating the obvious. Jesus doesn't have a home. Uh, When he starts his Galilean ministry, he leaves Nazareth, and he doesn't have a place where he can call his own. Now, we see throughout the Gospels that more than likely he lives with Peter and his family in Capernaum. That's kind of his headquarters, but he travels around. Uh, we, we see that as he begins his travels throughout Galilee, he's supported by Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna. Uh, they kind of help him and his, his followers as they, they wander from place to place. But Jesus is saying something that's literally true. I'm a vagabond. I am 
without a house. I camp out or I live wherever someone will invite me to stay. But I don't have a place that I call my own to lay down my head. And in some ways, he's saying the truth to that person and to all of us that in reality, nowhere that we stay is truly ours forever, is it? We itinerant Methodist preachers, I say semi-itinerant Methodist preachers in our our tradition nowadays, kind of knows what that means. You know, in John Wesley's day, a preacher stayed at a place one year. He had 52 good sermons, and that was all he had. And so then, then, they, then they moved him around. You know, later on, it became kind of like Auburn's offense, three and out. You know, so you'd stay three years, and then you, then you would leave. Yes, you, you would laugh at Bama fans. Yes, okay. Yes. Uh, but, you know, we stay a little longer these days. You know, whether it's five years, ten years, some preachers stay even 30 years some places. But ultimately, this place is not our own, and it's true for all of us. Even if you live somewhere a long, long, long time. Every summer, we'd go up and visit my mom's home place when I, was a, when I was a small kid. And we'd stay there for most of the summer, a little mountain community, not too far north of here in Callaway, Virginia. My grandpa and my papa lived there for 62 years. But as we've gone back to visit over the years, just to take a look at the place, we note that he no longer lives there. In fact, it's been sold twice since he died back in, in 1987. And the homes that people had lived in a long time in that, that rural mount community, uh, the sleds, the webs, the gurrets, they, they, they no longer live in those places. And it's a reminder that no matter how long you've lived in your house, it's not your permanent place of residence. There's only one place on earth that you're going to stay for a long, long time, and it's usually six by nine, or in the case of some people around here, it's that little niche that's in the columbarium here on this, uh, on this campus. There's no place that we occupy forever on this earth when we're alive. No place. We're all vagabonds. We're all travelers. And Jesus is saying to this fellow also that, you know, I, I travel lightly, you know, I have no place to, to lay down my head. He, he tells the disciples when they start heading out in, in chapter 10, which we'll look at here next week, that the, the disciples are sent out two by two. And what do they carry? They're, they're supposed to load up trunks, load of things like Dale Griffith did there, you know, that trunk uh, that he had full of uh, shower curtain rings. Uh, do they carry big backpacks and suitcases and, you know, they have a, a mule that they haul all their stuff on? No. What are they, no bag, no purse. Just their sandals on their feet, their I'd wear shoes, you don't want to see these toes, or and the clothes on their back. That's all they carried. Jesus is reminding us that we are to walk through life lightly, not really being held by our possessions. There's a story about a, a man that was a seeker of of his faith, and he wanted to deepen his relationship to God. So he heard about a holy man that lived on a mountain, and he, he uh, gathered a, a pack and uh, some food, and he, he walked a long way to get up to see this holy man. And, and he expected this magnificent building for, where this holy man lived, but it's just a tiny little shack. And when it went in, it was sparsely uh, furnished with a table and a chair and a little basin. And he went in there and greeted the, the holy man and said, you know, sir, uh, you have so few things. 
And the holy man responded to him, I see that all you got is a knapsack and a staff. He said, yeah, but I'm just traveling through. The holy man said, so am I. So am I. We're all just traveling through. We all are sojourners and wanderers. All the things that we think will bring us security and happiness, they don't last. And as we trust, trust in them, we find that they will be like a broken reed. We can't rely on them. Our only true security is following. Taking the hand of the one that invites us and says, come, come, follow me. Have any of you, you may think all I do is watch movies, but have any of you all seen the movie 13 Lives? Any, have you all seen that? Yeah. No one. I can say whatever I want to about it, and you'll believe me, right? No, it is a fascinating movie. Ron Howard produces it. It's the story about those Thai, young Thai soccer players that were rescued from the cave back in 2018. You, you, all, you all might remember that story. I mean, we, we kind of, you know, tuned into it a little bit, but... When you see what happened there, it is truly fascinating. Truly, truly fascinating. Uh, the, the story is, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but I, I, I'll, I'll get at uh, something that'll make my point. Uh, what happened is these young soccer players decide after practice one day to go into this cave. And at certain times of year, it would flood, but this is not the time of the year that it would normally flood. So they went in there and started exploring. But well, guess what happened? The monsoon season started early. It rained real heavy. They get trapped in the cave, and everyone th- thinks that they are dead. Well, uh, the Thai Navy sends some divers into the, into the cave, but they're not used to diving in a cave. So some British cave divers come to Thailand, and they go two and a half miles back into this cave through literally millions of gallons of water. And to everyone's great shock and joy, the boys are alive. They're there on this, on this island. They're surrounded by the water. And so the thought is, well, maybe the best thing to do is that we, now that we found them, we're just going to start hauling supplies in uh, to uh, the boys. And, and as they're there high and dry and wait for the, the water to subside, but they realize that may not be the best answer. So what they do is, well, I won't tell you the whole story because I want you to see the movie. But what they eventually do is convince those boys to go with those divers two and a half miles through a dark tunnel through millions of gallons of water. It's an act of trust. For you see, if they had remained there, where they thought they were safe and secure, the cave eventually flooded. The only true security for them, you see, was to trust those guys that had made the determined trek to come and get them and rescue them and bring them home to safety. Whatever you think is your security, your home, your savings, your securities, you know, even your relationships, They all are really like islands surrounded by a sea of uncertainty. The only true path is to grab hold of him who says, come, follow me. Even 
when it causes us to be afraid. Not even when it causes us to be afraid. For there's, the only true security is with him. The only true security is with him. The safest place you can ever be, and I've said this phrase to you before, is at the center of God's will. And so if you're following Jesus, you're at the center of God's will. So that's the safest place you can be, even if it seems scary. So as we looked at that first would-be disciple, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we need to let go of that we're trusting more than Jesus? What do we need to let go of that we're trusting more than Jesus? Our reputation, our finances, our investments, whatever that is. We are told to let it go, hold on to it lightly, be unafraid, follow after Jesus. We have this second would-be disciple, and Jesus invites me, you come on. And the fellow says, well, let me go bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Boy, does that sound harsh. I mean, I can't even go to my daddy's funeral. Well, scholars are going to say that's not exactly what this one's about, about family. The next one is, but this one isn't really about family. What this is about is this man fulfilling the law. And we all know in the Ten Commandments, there's this, there's this law, obey your father and mother uh, and follow on after the commandment of God, and therefore you will be blessed in the land. So what this man is doing is saying, I, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to fulfill my duty. I'm going to fulfill what I'm supposed to do. And later on in the 14th chapter, Jesus even gets a little more harsh. He says, if you don't hate your mama or your daddy or your cousins or your kids or your wife and your husband, you are not worthy of the kingdom of God. Woo, is right. Yeah. Speak it, Fred. Yeah. Wow. Now, is Jesus telling us to hate our family? Of course not. He even says, love your enemies. So, if you love your enemies, naturally you're going to love your family. What he is saying here in the 14th chapter is, my, your love for me should be so great that in comparison, it's like hating your family. But what he is saying also in this text to this man who is wanting to fulfill the law by honoring his dad, is this, that no, the ultimate fulfillment of the law, as you heard so brilliantly put last week in this very place by Laura Birch, is no, the ultimate fulfillment of the law is following me. Remember, Jesus went up to the mountain of transfiguration who was with him, Moses, the one who represented the law, and Elijah, those who represented the prophets. Jesus says, I fulfill all of that. So you've got to let go of some of these traditions that you think are drawing you closer to God and follow after me. We'll see throughout uh, the gospel text that he's chiding the Pharisees for tithing mint and tithing herbs and not pursuing justice and mercy. And the, the religious leaders said, you're more concerned about that building than you are about people. And he's asking us, what traditions, what way of following after religious laws and religious traditions keep us from truly following after Jesus? And it's saying, how, what do you need to change about the way you live out your life of faith? And that's a hard question for the church, isn't it? 
For church people, we like to do things the way we've always done things, don't we? I think I've said this to some of y'all, but there's an old semi-funny joke out there. It says, how many Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, change? My granddaddy donated that light bulb. You, 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 we, we don't like to change, do we? Not at all. I mean, that, that's the way we are in church. But we've got to look at the way we live life uh, together. You know, Laura, again, last week asked us, you know, we have this wonderful building, and this, this church has done a great job of opening to the community. And we've got to look at some ways uh, how... Uh, as we move into the future, you know, some things we got to update and, and, and things like that. But how are we to use our building and, more importantly, our people, not just to fulfill religious duties, but to reach people for Jesus Christ? And we do that some. But the question Jesus asks us is how is what we do as religious duty keeping us from experiencing Him? Because... You know, we can get inoculated from a relationship with Jesus by saying, well, I've come to church. Check. Now I'll go and do what I want to do. I've read my upper room today. Check. Uh, but how am I experiencing Jesus on the journey? How am I experiencing Jesus on the journey? You know, those things are important. Don't get me wrong. You need to come to church. You need to do your Bible study. We need to be part of prayer. Those are means of grace, but they cannot substitute for an actual relationship. They cannot substitute for an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like saying, I love to look at the picture of my wife, but that can't substitute for an actual relationship, speaking to her, talking to her, being in a relationship to her. Jesus is asking us, what things do we need to alter in our way of practicing faith so that we truly experience him? That's a question, isn't it? What in our traditions keep us from experiencing him? Hmm. This third fellow, now he's about family, okay? He, he says, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but let me go take care of business back home. And Jesus said, Anyone that puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, this is harsh stuff here. I, I understand that. But this is indeed about family. This fellow is wanting to go take care of things back at home. He wants to check on things, make sure mom and daddy or the kids are all right. And, and we, we know that family is important. It is important. I mean, that's part of our, our, our duty to make sure that we take care of family. But for so many of us, our family in particular, our children, well, they become idols, don't they? We'll do anything for them, and we'll go anywhere for them. And our children and our families, well, we, as sometimes we put them over our relationship with God, or we get our, so involved with activities with our families that we neglect our relationship with Jesus, forgetting that the best thing we can do for our children and our families is have our lives so ordered that they see Jesus in us and relate to Jesus, and they see us relating to Jesus. The very first thing in our lives. Richard Rohr said this, it's often family and marriage and children that are used as excuses from walking the spiritual journey. Wow, that's true, isn't it? I think family's up there a time or two, and we fear 
what happens, don't we? If we, well, if we don't have our kids doing this or uh, experiencing that. And again, family's important. Hear me say that. But the best thing we can do for our children is to let them see Jesus in us and let them know that the love of Christ is the most important thing in our lives and therefore they know that Jesus Christ is the most important thing to them. I mean, what better thing can we give to our kids than that? But sometimes it's hard, isn't it, with all the pressures in life and all the things that are going on in the world. We're afraid that we're going to miss out. We're afraid that, well, we might seem a little crazy, a little radical. But Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom. Seek ye first. Will Willimon, back when he's called Will Willimon, now he's Bishop Willimon, uh, tells a story about when he was a, a, one of the chaplains at, at Duke Divinity School. And he said that a, a fellow college chaplain invited him to participate in a baptism there at uh, the Duke Divinity Chapel of a Chinese graduate student. And Willimon had met the young man several times, and he's excited by this. And so they, they did the baptism, and Willimon, this is back in the days when he had cameras, he, Willimon had brought his camera, and he, he gathered uh, the, the Chinese graduate student and his friends there and said, let me, let me get a picture. And they all looked kind of nervous and afraid, and, and, and uh, they didn't look too happy about it, and he wondered what was going on. And after everything said and done, and the, the people had left, uh, the, the other chaplain said, well, that was kind of embarrassing, you and that camera and everything. Uh, what are you talking about? And... The chaplain said, you don't understand. Because this young man now is baptized, everything's going to be totally different for him. He's surrendered his relationship with his parents, with his family. He may lose his scholarship from the Chinese government because they're communists. Everything has changed for this young man. His life is totally different now that he's been baptized. He can't send any pictures back home. They don't want to see that. Wow. We don't understand sometimes as we see Fred and Joanna's son and uh, son-in-law and daughter in Egypt, what people in other places have to give up to be a follower of Christ. Us who grow up in the South, I mean, everyone went to church and you uh, went down through uh, the Sawdust Trail to get saved and or went through confirmation. But there's so many people in this world that literally have to say, Jesus above everything else, and may even surrender a relationship with family. That humbles me. As I see our Ukrainian friends here, it humbles me that their pastor could have stayed here in the United States. We're still raising money for that bus there in Kharkiv. Um, but pa- Pastor Vlad and his wife Elena have gone back. Because they love Jesus and they want those people there who are suffering so for them that war to experience some grace in the midst of that turmoil. Wow. That humbles me. Doesn't it you? That really does. But we got to say this. As we are called to do similar things in maybe smaller ways, not so dramatic ways, we got to see this, that as Diane Bass, the great Christian author, said, on 
the mapless journey with Christ, there's no destination. There's no destination. Only being enveloped with endless love. I like that. And maybe for us to have such faith, we got to be like those, those young soccer players, have a childlike faith to just say, I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know how this is going to end up, but I'm just going to go. Maybe that's why, why Jesus said it takes the faith of a child to follow because when someone that loves us so much that they're going to give their life for us and says, you come follow me, we got to realize that they have their best interest at heart for us ultimately, even when it's like diving into a dark cave, going two and a half miles through millions of gallons of water. God, we have to have a faith like that, a childlike faith. I mentioned my pawpaw, and as I said, we'd go up there lots of summers and spend a good part of the summer up there. And when I was a small boy, I would uh, wake up in the mornings to hearing the screen door uh, down near the kitchen creak open and slam shut as my pawpaw would go out into the, the garden and uh, hoe and weed and pick vegetables for our food for the day. And then I'd get dressed and run downstairs, and always my aunt or my, my mama would have, have a great breakfast there. And, and as I was finishing up eating, Papa would come in, and he'd have his, his rubber garden boots on. He'd take them off and take off his outdoor hat, and he'd look at me when I was done eating. He said, all right, boy, let's go. And I'd hop up, and we would go. And we'd get in his old car, and y'all, you've seen the people that are native here and how they drive, you know, fast and on all over the road. That was my papa. And, and we'd ride along, and he'd go like he was a Daytona 500 driver, and we'd just fly down those mountain roads and go all over the place. And it, it, it was exhilarating. And I wasn't scared a bit because I was with papa. And more times than not, on a, more, a weekday morning, we were going to go to the post office, and he was going to go to Miss Catherine Webb and take her some fruit and some vegetables and talk a little bit, and he'd mill around a little bit there, and then he would reach in his pocket, and he'd give me a dime, and we'd go over to what I called the candy store, but it was the A&A market, and I'd go there that dime, and I'd buy 10 hot atomic fires <laughs> or some bubble gum. Or something like that. And oh, I was in heaven. And that happened day after day after day through those wonderful summers of my childhood. But as I got a little older one time, uh, my papa saw me finish breakfast and he said to me, All right, boy, let's go. And I responded back, Where are we going? And he said, I know now you've done grown up because you are asking where I'm going instead of just following me and getting in the car, and we go. Is it any wonder that Jesus said, to be a follower of mine, you have to be like a child, just trust. And as we trust, we know that this one that loves you so much that he died for you is going to have your best interest at heart, even though it may be a little scary, like riding in that old Oldsmobile, flying down a country road. You're with someone that loves you ultimately. You'll be surrounded by the steadfast love. And you're going to end up in a place that has more goodness in it than any candy store. Because it's filled with never-failing love.
Fear not, Jesus said. It is your Father's good pleasure for you to inherit the kingdom. That's a promise, y'all, for those who follow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us pray. Oh, God, we know following can be so difficult. We have a hard time trusting. We're, we're skeptics. We have so many questions. I get that. I'm, I'm there myself sometimes. But, Father, as we hear uh, the compelling call to just follow, we know that there's things we have to surrender, that there's some relationships we have to prioritize. Uh, there's some things that we have to do differently in our faith walk as individuals and as a church. But Lord, help us to be so bold, to say, okay, Lord, I'll be like Peter, James, and John. I'll drop my nets. I'll be like Matthew. I'll leave the tax collector's booth. I'll follow, knowing that somehow, some way, even though I don't know where we're going, Lord, it's going to be good. Even though it may be hard, it's going to be good because you go with us. So, God, Help us. Help us to just take that next step, that next step that will lead us to life eternal. We ask, Lord, for that courage to have faith, to trust in you. All this we ask in the one who uh, compels us to follow him, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen, amen, and amen.